you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky back with you. Buck, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good. I mean, it's always an exciting time. We got Thursday Night Football on tap. Uh, we had a lot of moving moving parts this week. A lot of players being surprisingly released, but already linking up with new teams. Uh, talk about We'll talk about Stefan Gilmore and Jalen Smith going to new locations. And then, you know, just football, man. Just, just, just football. Football weekend. Got yeah, we like got a fun, fun episode today. We're going to have your uh, former coach, Mac Brown, good friend of the show. He's going to join us. Uh, be good to catch up with him, see what he's got going on, talk about his quarterback a little bit, Sam Howell. Um, we're going to talk about some uh, some stats I want to hit you on and get your thoughts on, as well as uh, preview a little bit of this Thursday night contest. Uh, but there is some news there at the top. Um, just your takeaways here. Two uh, interesting signings uh, after be- after players being released here. Uh, first of all, I think it's important to explain uh, why Jalen Smith was released and why Stephon Gilmore was traded prior to being released. Yeah, no, it's interesting. The Jalen Smith thing is is one of those that I think anybody – should have should have been able to see this coming. I actually thought it would be a deal that would take place in the preseason. Um, normally, DJ, when you draft two linebackers high uh, at a position that you have people there, it kind of means they're telling you something. But the G- Cowboys didn't only draft two; they signed another one in Keanu Neal, and so you knew that there was some displeasure with how they were the production they were getting from the position. And then in Jalen Smith, when you look at the tape, the last couple of years, he has some athletic deficiencies that's showing up he's a guy that you can't necessarily leave on the field consistently on passing downs and to be honest last year he didn't play very hard the effort wasn't necessarily up to the standard now this year I would say it was a different Jalen Smith Jalen Smith played better Uh, I felt like the effort was there even though he wasn't starting he had 19 tackles Uh, you had a chance to see him up close and personal with the Chargers he was doing some good things now 7.2 million dollars 9.2 9.2 million in injury guarantees for next year. You're the Cowboys. You're saying mm, he might be playing well, but he's not playing well enough for us to chance what we could be on the hook for if he gets hurt. Mm-hmm. When we have younger players that we like in Michael Parsons, Jabril Cox, we like Keanu Neal and Leighton Vanda as just healthy and playing well in the middle. Yeah, there's different kinds of nervous. There's there's your kicker lining up for a game winning field goal nervous. Um, there's standing on the stage before you exchange vows, you know, your wedding, I guess some people will be nervous there. There's, then there's watching somebody who you don't think's what he used to be on a field, knowing if he gets hurt, it's going to cost you $9.2 million next year. It's a different level of nervous. Um, so that was it. I mean, that's, that's the whole story. It, you know, I, I think it was the jets a couple years ago. I remember with Le'Veon Bell, it's like, you can't put him out there. He's got a huge injury guarantee. Like, it's mm-hmm. bad enough the previous regime gave him all this money, but I'm not going to be on the hook for another year of this. Like, he's got to go. So either you can voluntarily remove the injury guarantee from your contract or, man, you got to find somewhere else to play, man, because I can't I can't be living like that up in the box watching that, hoping you don't get hurt. Yeah, no, I wonder – like, I wonder about that. The thing that I wonder um, in his deal, did his deal contain offsets? 
Because if so, then the Packers are on the hook for some of that money. Or does Jalen Smith get an opportunity to double dip? Mm-hmm. Gets the money that he was going to get from the Cowboys, plus any additional monies that the Green Bay Packers will pay. Uh, I think for the Packers, though, this actually is good because I think they'll get the best version of Jalen Smith, whatever that is. I think they'll get a motivated, um, high-effort player who can help them on early downs because they want to go sub-package and do all that other stuff. But he gives them kind of that older presence. And we know how this is, DJ. Sometimes if there was a player that you really loved in the pre-draft process, when that player's name hits the waiver wire, you can't just resist the opportunity yeah. to at least bring him in and kick the tires. Yeah. You know, and if you go back prior to the injury that he suffered in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, he was unbelievable, man. I don't think people realize how good that guy was before he got hurt. It was a I devastating mean, injury. Nobody, A lot of people thought he would never play football again. I mean, he was a dominant, high-level – I mean, he might have been, what, he, he, he was top five prospect in the draft. Oh, he was like – he was he my second highest – second or third yeah, highest one or two. player. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he was – I mean, he was a disruptive force off the edge. And so I think sometimes, man, you want to kick the tires and you want to see if a change of environment, a change in scheme, maybe can unlock some of the stuff that we hadn't seen of late from yeah, well, he was – yeah, again, it was a shame, that injury. I was at that game at the Fiesta Bowl when that happened. Brutal, man. Um, all right, Stephon Gilmore, similar but different, right? You've got a player who they announced was going to be released. They end up trading him for a cupcake. I mean, it was a six-round pick, which, which, by the way, before I get to you on that, I always laugh when people are like, how could you only get a six-round pick? You just gave him away. And I'm sitting here going, yeah, when you announce in the morning that he's going to be released, okay, not a lot of leverage there. And number two – that was available to everybody else in the league. So everybody else in the league had a chance. So it's not like the Patriots said, you know what? We got a first-round pick offer from uh, from the Chargers. But you know what? We're going to take this six-round pick offer from them. That's all they got was a six-round pick. That was what the value was for a 31-year-old corner coming off injury who wants a bunch of money. And not only that, DJ, it's not a six-round pick in 2022. 23. 2023. <laughs> so I, I tweeted. I said, this. they gave him away for a bag of peanuts. Like, this is a snack pack at the end of a road trip, you know, where you just pull into the little gas station and say, oh, you know, I'm hungry, let me get a little snack. That's what it is. This 50 cents bag of peanuts. And what it really tells you without telling you, outside perception is a lot different different than inside perception on Stephon Gilmore. Because those people who really viewed him as the defensive player of the year, the shutdown corner that he was hailed to be, he would have commanded more in return. I mean, I want to say even Marcus Peters got more in return when he was traded for, from the Rams, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So so, so that they're telling you without telling you where he is at this stage of his career. And for Gilmore also to think the money that he might want, that money's not going to be there. Mm-mm. That money's not going to be like, I mean, the money, $16, 17000000 million for a corner, you still got to be in your prime. Here's what I'll say about the Patriots, and this is how the Patriots always do business when it comes to the cornerback position. You and I have talked about it. They play man-to-man more than anybody else. And when you play that much man-to-man, you're not only playing man-to-man in games during the regular season, you're playing man-to-man in practice during the regular season. You're playing it in minicamp and OTAs. You're playing it in workouts and drills. With GPS, you now are better able to understand the mileage that you're putting on your players when you do this. There's a reason why the Patriots typically don't give out big contracts to corners after they bring them in because they know, hey, the four or five years that we have them here, we are absolutely wearing them out, and then we'll let somebody else deal with it. We saw them do it with Ty Law. We saw them not 
commit to Darrell Revis. We saw them play yo-yo games with Aqib Tlaib. This is what they do. And so they understood exactly what they had with Gilmore. And Bill Belichick believes, hey, man, I'd rather get rid of a player a year too soon rather than a year too late. And so that's what they do. Yeah. There's certain positions where youth is served, and I would say probably none more so than corners. We always say at the combine every year when people, you know, would say, oh, 40s are overrated for all these. I say, no, not for corners. There aren't, you know, got to be able to run. Got to be able to run out there. Got to be able to run. And and you can get away with it. Like you can get away with some, with the four or five corner for, three years four years maybe but once they get to that second contract those four five corners are now four six corners and we got we got problems we got problems and it's a young person's game and depending upon the scheme that you play and the teacher that you have in the db room Mm -hmm. you can get away with playing young dbs you can get away with playing young corners and young safeties if the scheme is simple enough to allow them to play and you have a good teacher in the room and so you know, we talked about it, DJ, and it's one of those things that people go back and forth in the debate in terms of like when you're building a, an elite defense or a Super Bowl team, do you invest in the corner, right? Or do you say, hey, give me the multiple pass rushes, give me the dynamic second level defender on the inside, linebacker, whatever that is, and can I get away with lesser corners because the scheme that we play doesn't put as much pressure on the corner to be elite players? Yeah, I look at the Jets, you know, you think about the Jets, Robert Sala having coached Richard Sherman. I'm sure there was opportunities for the Jets with veteran corners to bring them in. It may even some guys you have history with. But I think you saw them say, you know what, we're going to roll with young guys. We're going to roll with our young draft picks, a bunch of day three picks, by the way, um, and some undrafted free agents because they're young and they can run and we're going to develop them. We're going to believe in our coaches um, and we're going to play fast. We, we got to get them coached up. But they, you know, especially when you're in a developing team, you know, a young team or, you know, a team that's not a playoff contender, so to speak, at this point in time, you don't roll with old corners, man. Like that that eliminates a lot of teams for somebody like a Stephon Gilmore. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And if you think about it, Robert Sala sat at the knee of Pete Carroll during the time where they had all those young players playing well, Maxwell and Sherman and anybody, and Walter Thurman and all those guys playing. And they saw what young guys can do in a scheme that is really, really simple. So mm-hmm. when you do that with young players or whatever, man, think about the cost benefit analysis when it comes to that. They got all those day three undrafted free agents. Now you can commit your big money to loading up on the pass rush. That's the trick. The yep. trick is now take the money that you save and can we get two or three pass rushers that can attack and beat up the quarterback and do those things. That's when the defense kind of goes to the next level, and that's when you have a ton of success. Yeah, when you think of high-priced positions and being able to get impact players that don't cost anything, I mean, even though you take a quarterback high in the draft, relatively speaking, it's cheap for that for those first years. Cornerback is a high-ticket item. So if you've got players that are playing well on rookie contracts that are late-round picks, those are huge values, man, because the cost to do that out in the open is, is ridiculously expensive, man. Super expensive, and think about the success when we're going back to the Patriots. J.C. Jackson. Undrafted free agent, playing like a ball, the number of interceptions that he has been able to produce, hey, you can live with that. Because even if you come to him early to, to redo the deal, you're still saving money. So, yeah, I'm with it. I, I, I was a part of an organization that went to a Super Bowl with two undrafted free agent corners, Terry Cousins and Reggie Howard. There you go. But up front, Julius Peppers, Horses, Benson Buckner, and then Mike Rucker. I've seen it. Linebackers, Mark Fields. Dan Morgan, hey, give me my money up front in the front seven. 
I can figure out a way to play coverage with the guys in the back end. All right. I, I want to get to a couple interesting stats and get your thoughts on it right after this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, Buck, I, I like to dig into the next-gen stats every week and just see kind of what I can come up with. And I've got some interesting stuff, which we can get to later if we have time, uh, on this uh, Seahawks-Rams game. But I was looking up some other stats, um, and I thought I want to hit you up on this. So I was looking up quarterbacks and blitz percentage. So in other words, teams are – who's getting blitzed the most? Which quarterbacks are getting blitzed the most and which quarterbacks getting blitzed the least? Um, so when we look up here at the top, I guess it's probably not a surprise, right? That the two most blitz quarterbacks so far this year in terms of blitz percentage, number one is Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. Number two is Mac Jones. Mm. So the thought process being young quarterbacks, heat them up. speed them up, heat them up. Well, a couple of things. Uh, one with Justin Fields, anybody who studied the tape from college, like most defense coordinators will go and they'll look and see what guys – there's a particularly young quarterback. Hey, let's see what probably gave him problems in college. Anybody that did that saw that pressure forced him into mistakes. Like the two games in particular that we can talk about, Northwestern and Indiana, where he had turnover issues because the zone pressures, he couldn't necessarily sort it out. It made him hold on to it. Clock wasn't ticking fast enough. So now you want to see, has he resolved the issue? And then when you look at the Bears' offensive line, you have some guys that are struggling with athleticism, namely mm-hmm. Jason Peters. Yep. That makes more sense than anything to do it. And then the first game that you watch Justin Fields as a starting quarterback for the Bears, Cleveland, he gets touched up nine times. So you absolutely have to dial it up and bring it down because you have to see, have the Bears solve the problem? Is a quarterback courageous enough to be able to withstand the pressure? And can their coaches give him a plan that allows him to win against the pressure? Yeah. So those are the most blitz. The least blitz, let me get your thoughts on this. Ben Roethlisberger is the least blitzed quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is the second least blitzed quarterback in the NFL. Uh, then Josh Allen, then Aaron Rodgers. So when you look at that collection and when you look at Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, it might not be three better quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I mean, that's that's it. That's elite, elite company. Um, and then Ben Roethlisberger down there at the, at, at the very least blitz. What are your thoughts? Okay, so let's use Ben Roethlisberger separate and apart from the other guys because the other guys are still playing at a high level. We'll say Ben Roethlisberger is this. There's enough evidence on tape that Ben Roethlisberger can no longer hurt you with his arm. So the reason why you don't blitz him is you're like, oh, I'm not going to give you a layup. I'm mm-hmm. not going to give you something where you can see it coming. You can quickly yeah, identify the slam. Yep. Nope. We're going to make you work to get your completion. So we're going to sit back, we're going to look at the eyes, and we're going to see how this slow ball, this, this, this change-up, comes out of your hand and we can go break on because he doesn't have the arm talent. That's why they do that for Patrick Mahomes. Um, you just, you just want to die a slow death when you're dealing with the Kansas city chiefs, you want to mm-hmm. just keep the ball in front, um, park the safeties in the parking lot and make him show the patient that he'll take the check down. Um, same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, right. You don't want to, you don't want to give him the layup. Aaron Rodgers sees the blitz. He's going to make you pay right now. And it's going to hurt because we've seen it. You blitz him, he's going to hit the slant to Devontae Adams over yep. and over and over again. Make him do something else. And with Josh Allen, I think 
why you don't blitz him is one, athletically, he's a problem. So you want to keep your eyes on him. Zone allows you to do that. But two, when you have accuracy issues and you're not a guy that really throws with timing and anticipation, zone coverage is harder. Cloud the picture. It clouds the picture, but it also requires you to throw with anticipation to fit it into some of those windows. He is a guy that likes to overpower the ball to fit it into those things. You're more likely to force him into a turnover in zone coverage and playing man-to-man where you can see, oh, pressure's coming. I can either throw it or I can use my athleticism to escape. All right, so that was the one stat I wanted to hit you on. I thought you laid that out well. Um, the last one here, we always look at pass rushers here. We like the pass rusher show of record. Mm-hmm. So just looking at pure pressures, uh, when you look at hurries so far, I should use that term. Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, Aaron Donald, Miles Garrett, Yannick Ngakwe. That's that's the top right now as we sit here uh, through four weeks of the season. Anything uh, that, that stands out to you what those guys have in common or any connection? Uh, the connection, the first thing that I look at is when you look at the tape and watch all those guys, outstanding get off. Yep. Great snap count anticipation and first step quickness. They all have that ability. Um, their ability to immediately press, put pressure on the offensive tackle in their first three steps enables them to win a few different ways. They can get you on that third step. They can dip and go up under, or they're going to set you up and they're going to come inside. That is what they do. And then uh, the other common denominator between all those guys, when you watch those guys over the course of a game, they all play hard. And so some of it is they went on first reaction because of their speed and quickness. But a lot of times it's the extra effort where they just outwork you and they get the sack. Uh, before we get out of here, we've got one word for you guys from a sponsor, and then we're going to get right to our conversation with, with head coach Mac Brown. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. DJ, you know, I always get excited when I have an opportunity to talk to a college football Hall of Famer. But I'm even more excited when I have a chance to talk to Coach Brown. Coach Mac Brown from North Carolina, one of the most impactful people that I've had in my life. Coach Brown, how are you doing right now? Bucky, I'm doing great. We just won. Yeah. yeah. When, when you win, everything's great. When you lose, everything stinks. <laughs> <laughs> the way it goes this time of the year. But uh, uh, you, you beat Duke. That's really important around here, as you know. You yeah. do this all the time, and uh, that that's an important game. They, they have the victory bell. We swap it back and forth. It's important we keep it in Chapel Hill. It is important. DJ, I'll tell you a quick story about this. There was a time where my freshman year we lost 41 nothing to Duke. Um, it might have been Coach Spurrier. We won't name Coach Spurrier, but we'll say Coach Spurrier. Uh, they might have they put our nose in it a little bit. And I remember going into the locker room as a young freshman, and Coach Brown said, we will never, ever, ever, ever lose the victory bell like that again. And so I think from that point, we have owned the victory bell. And so it's very important that we dominate the state championship. So it was a big win. I watched it. It was great. I love that. I love that. It's always an honor for me to talk to a former App State head coach. You know, like that's uh, that's why I love having Coach on here. Uh Coach, how much how much more fun is it for you being in full stadiums this year after such a bizarre experience last year? It's so much more fun. Just you, you, you realize the pageantry that you missed, the band, the cheerleaders, the walks, the the fans, the uh, just the part of college football is so much fun. It was more like a scrimmage. We we walked into Virginia and 
we walked into Boston College. There was no one in the stadium. Man, you screamed and it echoed, and it was really sad. It's yeah. just not who we are and not what we are. And I think the other thing, guys, that, that really got me is across our country, the, the businesses that just live off college sports just died. Mm-hmm. Poor, poor Chapel Hill didn't have anybody here on game day, and, and there weren't people in the restaurants and the hotels and, and all the shops downtown, and Bucky's been on Franklin Street when it's so mm-hmm. packed you couldn't even get in. And and, and to see people back and, and just loving college football, it's better for the players. It's a lot better for the game, but the communities are really thriving now again as well. You know, Coach, one thing that uh, Daniel and I have observed in college football, it appears that college football is more volatile than ever now. Uh, it appears that literally we talk about any Saturday, any team can go down. Can you pinpoint why it's so different now than, than it appeared to be because it appears now that literally the parody in college football is where it's never been at guys I, i'm a college football fan and buff and love it and i've watched it my whole life and the only thing i can figure is maybe the transfer portal's doing it people are leaving faster and they're not as happy and if you don't play one week you're calling around to see if you can get in the portal and then people are bringing in like florida state's got 13 transfers from the spring Um, so locker rooms are different, Bucky. Um, I think leadership on your team's different. Uh, We only took one transfer last year with, uh, Ty Chandler and it's taken him a while to, to get around the team and get to know everybody and get to know the offense. So I, the only thing I can think maybe COVID had something to do with it because we missed spring practice and people didn't even get to meet some of the people they were recruiting. We lost a lot of fundamentals, but, but, you know, how long does that last? So I, I have to think it must be that that people are transferring all over the country and the makeups of our team are different. And a lot of people aren't building a team over years from high school up. They're just bringing in new guys all the time to, to stick in places. And that's tougher in the locker room. Coach, I'm curious, can you identify when you're recruiting guys who would, this is a terrible term, but who'd be more likely to be a flight risk? I mean, like, when you're bringing guys in and you're like, man, I don't know, guys, based off the background, is this any type of adversity with this young man? We're going to we're going to lose him. Like we, we got to find guys we can get to stick around here and, and not jump in that portal you were just talking about. Daniel, we, we're absolutely talking about that. I think everybody is. You, you take Bucky. Bucky's from Raleigh. He had mm-hmm. great parents that that um, uh, wanted, knew he would be a, a North Carolina graduate and and. That's the kind of people we try to recruit. We get a footprint where the parents and the high school coach and the friends can drive to see them play mm-hmm. because it's easier now to jump ship easier than ever before. And uh, there are some good things about the transfer portal. If a second teamer can't play and they want to start and the starting at that time is more important than, than getting a degree from that school, I got it. Mm-hmm. But I wish we would go back and say there still has to be an appeal process. Mm-hmm. And if the appeal process is I want to start, I can't. And, and both schools agree that, that that's the focus of it. Let him transfer. Mm-hmm. It may be uh, Joe Burrow is a wonderful story. Third-team quarterback from Ohio State. He wins a national championship at LSU. That's what the portal should be about. But now, Sunday after a loss, who's going to try to get in? I mean, <laughs> it, it's, just, uh, it's really amazing. It's changed everything. And and I don't like the, the biggest part of this. But absolutely, Daniel, we're, we're saying – Better be stable parents that want their son to get their degree from North Carolina so they'll have a little bit of patience mm-hmm. and not be leaving before they, they have a chance to even play. 
You know, Coach, uh, uh, DJ, you may not have known this. I've redshirted my third year at North Carolina. And during that time, like most young people, like you can consider like transferring those things. But Coach talked about, no, you got you to deal with some adversity. And really, for a really good program, you're not supposed to be on the field until your fourth year and your fifth year as a starter. Well, Coach, that has changed now where guys are coming right out of high school and they want to get on the field and you guys are putting them onto the field. How does that change the dynamics in the locker room, though, of hot shots jumping right onto the field and guys who are kind of biding their time being bypassed? How do you manage the chemistry in the locker room when you have those situations? Bucky, it's a lot harder. In fact, Josh Downs played behind Daz Newsom as a slot last year. Josh is one of the, the most prolific receivers right now in the country. He caught six passes last year. Wow. And I had him stand up in front of the team the other day, and I said, were you satisfied? No. Were, were you angry? Did you gripe? Yes. A absolutely all of it. Was it worth it now for you to lit up, for you to learn behind a really good one in Daz Newsom that's now playing for the Bears so you'd have your chance to go? And he said, absolutely. Be patient and, and do that. So what we're still doing, Bucky, no different than when you were here, you got to earn your way. And, and you've got to earn your way in practice. You older ones, uh, you, you get the benefit of the doubt until you don't. And if you're not playing well, we're going to try to help you get through that. But if not, we're going to move on and, and put a young one in your place. But we're still trying uh, to make sure that everybody that's playing has earned that right. Coach, your players are constantly learning. I know you're constantly learning about your players. What, what have you learned about your quarterback and Sam Howell through this year? He's tough as nails. He hasn't really changed since the, the first day he was here. Uh, we haven't helped him as much this year as we need to, and everybody knows he's the, the key, and he's a superstar. So that we're, we've had more sacks than we're, we're supposed to. We've, he's run the ball more, so they're trying to beat him up, hit him, and knock him out. They're even saying that publicly, that we're, we're taking legal vicious hits. So I think we're settled back down. We, we're, we're getting better on defense, but offensively, uh, we've been so inconsistent. We may score – uh, three touchdowns in 10 plays and then not score for a quarter. So we've got to get some consistency to get back to where we need to be offensively. Uh, Daniel, it's been too easy the last two years. We just run up and down the field mm -hmm. and, and it, it's just been absolutely like a video game. And there's been a frustration with me, with Sam, with our, our team offensively and our coaches that it hasn't been as easy. So we're, we're having to go back and, and get a new identification and realize who we are. We are different. And if we win the game 21-7, that's fine. But in our two losses, we've turned it over trying to make too many plays. Mm -hmm. You know, Coach, and, and thinking about that, because you do have a superstar quarterback, a quarterback that on the outside, the, the buzz is about where he could be drafted um, next spring if he elects to come out. How do you work with Sam to not focus on that stuff and to just focus on being a really good player on the level that he's at right now, because it is a challenge. There's there's so many new challenges for these young people. The the transfer portal is a challenge because they've got their buddies calling them saying, "Can you can you get Coach Brown to take me?" Mm -hmm. And then that's different. It's a different dynamic. And Coach, he's really good, man. Can you take him? We don't have a spot. <laughs> I don't know who we are? I know, but he he's my buddy and he's really good. We we'd have a great combination together. And then you've got name, image, and likeness, which is absolutely nuts. Mm -hmm. that, that, that there are now boosters who can pay players, but you can't pay them for play. Wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. What are you paying them for? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that means, Daniel, you can't pay them per touchdown pass. <laughs> <laughs> and then the same in recruiting. We're all trying to figure out you, you can't use name, image, and likeness to help recruit. Uh, so what, is, what does that mean? Um, and, and then you've got the, the Heisman hopeful talk, and then you've got the top 10 for us talk, which we weren't ready for that yet. Um, and, and then you've got the draft. What happens in the draft with all your players? We were lucky enough to have five players drafted last year. Now all of our guys think they're going to be drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that's not true. It just, it just doesn't happen. So uh, I think with social media, with all the new stuff that's out there, I, I was in your job for five years. I know it's important to have talk, and that's what we want. We want the barbershop talk and the uh, Internet talk, and we want people stirring it up and liking and disliking and disagreeing with and all that. I, I got it, uh, but it's not healthy for some of these young people. So what we've tried to do is say, guys, it's really important that you understand the ball comes before the brand. Mm. And if you're not doing really good with your ball, there ain't going to be no brand. Because they're only going to pay for somebody who is being so productive that it helps sell their business. And I think that's what guys have to understand. I think it'll settle down some next year. And and, and guys in the draft, you're not going to make enough money in name, image, and likeness that it's going to help you enough if you start losing money in the draft because you don't play well. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't gain hundreds of thousands to lose millions. Oh, that's smart, Coach. But can you, can you imagine back in the day? I mean, I can just imagine – in the 90s, the ad that comes on TV in, in, in the Carolinas and it's Bojangles where you can get your biscuits fast. How fast Bucky Brooks goes through the drive-thru, sprinting, running through there. He grabs his biscuit and he's on his way. I mean, he would have been a star, Coach. He would have been a star. Natron Means is back on our staff. He said the other day, hey, Natron Means business would have been a slogan with a lot of likeness, Coach. So, wow. There is no question. Bucky's one of the fastest players. Uh, so he would have been lightning something. Coach, coach, the Chili's, the Chili's logo was literally of a pepper. You try and tell me Julius Peppers couldn't have had some major Chili's endorsement deal back then? So Bo, I just saw Bo Corrales the other day had something on uh Bojangles. Uh that's so that's so great. Coach, so we always have a lot of coaches that are listening. Um, to the podcast. And I want to lean on you, obviously, because you've done it um, at a high level. So this season, your team team came in with a lot of expectations, right? There was a lot of talk about top tens and competing at the top of the championship and those things. How as a coach are you able to manage those expectations, particularly when you have a couple missteps early in the year? How do you handle your team when some of the things that appear to be out there for them may not exist anymore? Well, Bucky, you know we've always been brutally honest with our team, and that's very important. And it's catchy in preseason because you don't want to tell them they're not a top-10 team. But at the same time, you've got to earn it. And and I I said in the media, and I've always said, preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing because you haven't earned them. Mm -hmm. They're somebody's opinion. The ones at the end matter. So that's the way I tried to handle it is is I wish we didn't have preseason rankings because they're really not real. And then eight teams get knocked out of the top 25 the first week, nine the second week. And then we're all saying, well, they're not that good. Well, you're the one that said we were. We didn't say we were. So come on, man. And the other thing we try to do, Bucky, for all the coaches out there is we try to relate it to life. If, if, if you have a bad day at work, you're not going to quit. 
just because maybe your your expectations weren't met the first month in work, you're going to give up. No, you're going to get better. You're going to get better every day. You're going to have adversity is going to make you get tougher and pull your family together and, and pull your time together. Cause there may be a time that you have a sick child or lose a child. You may get divorced. Uh, you, you may get fired in your job. So this is a great opportunity to learn how to handle adverse things that are going to happen in your life. Cause we all have it. We, we all have stuff in our life that we didn't plan for cause life's fun, but life's tough. And, and there's no better teacher than college football after a loss, when everybody's turning on you and everybody's down on you and there's a lot of buzz in social media and our guys are all addicted to their, their phones. So they all watch it all. Well, don't watch it now when you get your rear end kicked. So that's not as much fun, uh, but learn that's the way life is. And, and that, that, so don't worry about the end. You do your best. You get better every week. And let's see what's out there at the end. You'll get what you deserve. You get what you earn not what somebody said you were supposed to have before you started. And that's why this weekend is so important for us. We, we're back on track with the Duke win. We need to get better each week. And defensively, we did that last week. Can they, lesson in life, can they handle all the praise this week and go back and work and get better? Offensively, we played great against uh, Virginia. Hadn't played good since. We've been inconsistent. Um, so, don't listen to all the hype and, and let it make you be worse because then you'll never be consistently good. And you've got to be consistently good before you can be great at something. Coach, I'm going to take a, a left turn here with this question. I, I was talking to, to Scott Satterfield the other day, and in the midst of our discussion, he mentioned something about you know, his friendship with the Louisville baseball coach. And they've had a lot of success there with their baseball program. He's able to learn some stuff from other coaches on campus. I can't help but see MJ on your logo right there. Has there been has there been anything you've learned from from Roy Williams just being around him and knowing him as long as you have? Yeah, uh, Daniel, you go back to Coach Smith. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I, I grew up with Coach Smith here, and I had ten years with him. I had a year with Coach Roy Williams the first time he was here before he went to Kansas, mm -hmm. and then since he's been back, he and I've been very close and very close friends. And there were a, a number of things I learned from just a few things for coaches. Uh, they have a thought of the day every day that they meet with their team. And it's a well thought out thought. So since we're in the, the modern age here of, of video, uh, instead of quotes, we have a video from a great player, a great coach every morning at 630 when we meet to start the day. Wow. And, and it's very important that it sets the tempo. And it's about how to respond after a loss. It's about how to handle praise. It's it's Drew Brees. It's Peyton Manning. It's it's Kobe Bryant. It's it's somebody that they look up to, telling them how to handle the things that that I want them to handle every day. The second thing, I sat down with Coach Guthridge and Coach Smith one time and said, "Why are you all so good? You're always good. I know you got good players, but why are you so good?" And they said, "PT." And I said, "What does that mean?" They said, "Playing time." Take your great ones, and when do they get tired and that backup should be in because he can take three minutes of energy and be better than a tired superstar. Mm -hmm. And that taught me then that you, you better be really good at your depth and mm -hmm. substitution. So one of the key things that we have to do each week is make sure that we do not have a tired player on the field. So if we see a loaf, he's out. 
If we see a guy duck his head and have bad body language, he's out. If we see a guy put his hands on his hips because he's tired, he's out. Because if they are tired, we should have recruited well enough that that next level guy can come in and give us 10 plays at high energy better than the superstar is tired. And those two things are things that they've taught me that have really helped. Wow. You know, Coach, I know this weekend, uh, especially because um, even though Bobby Bowden was at Florida State, you guys are honoring him. And I know you spent some time with Coach Bowden. Um, what did you learn from your time or your interactions with Coach Bowden that you've implemented in your own coaching style? And why is it so important for you to honor him this weekend? Look, yeah, look, number one, I, I want to honor him because he touched so many lives. I, I was around Coach Royal a lot at Texas, and Coach Royal got dementia. And he came to a, a game in, in Daryl Royal Memorial Stadium. The last time he was at the stadium, he didn't know where he was. Hmm. He didn't know it was his stadium. And then after that, he, he I talked to him. He didn't know who was playing. He said, which, which who's who? I said, Coach, we're playing Wyoming. And he said, which is which? So he didn't even know that the burn orange jerseys were Texas. He never forgot players' names. Wow. Mm. Ex-players' names. I would see them all come and visit him, and he'd say, Billy, John, hey, remember the, the play you made? And so what's really important to coaches at the end is their ex-players and the impact hopefully they had on their lives. That, that's, that's what you have. Nobody cares about how many games you won or – how many championships that keeps you coaching because mm -hmm. they fire you if you don't do those things <laughs> and you don't get to be around the players. But coach Bowden touched so many lives. It, it was unbelievable. And mine included. So I would call him Bucky and say, uh, we've lost to Oklahoma too many times in a row coach. You're losing to your rival. What do you do? Mm. And he says, when you're good enough and you're tired enough of hearing it, you'll beat them. <laughs> and I said, well, I hope we're good enough because we're done. <laughs> and, and, but, but like Coach Royal, Coach Bowden could take very, very complicated things and make them simple. And he also taught me to be myself. He was just himself. And I said one time, is, is Coach Bowden that laid back? I mean, is he really that chill? And, and they said, no, no. He's tough. He's disciplined. That's just who he is in public. And, and uh, you know, Bucky, that's kind of the way I am. I have fun. Yes. I laugh. I cut up. But if it's time to work, we got to go to work. Yeah. And we can make hard decisions. And and uh, and he taught me that. It, when uh, we played the game in 97 out here, they were one and we were four. And I sat there and uh, he had a stool because his back was hurting him. And he sat on the stool the whole game. And I told him before the game, my goal today is get you off that stool. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen <laughs> i don't know how the game will go but you're not getting me off that anymore. but he was just he was fun when we we first started and bucky was on the team and we were so bad talking about those duke years where we lost to them two in a row and we were we were one and seven the first year and coach bowden was coming to town with florida state he put his arm around me at the middle of the field and he said you know what you're doing this right this is great. Said you, you've lowered expectations. They're on me if we don't beat them. <laughs> you got it perfectly, man. You just keep doing what you're doing. And right before we're playing the number one team in the country is getting ready to kill us. So the next year we go to Tallahassee and I'm in the middle of the field. We're 0 and 7. He says, Last year I told you you were doing it right. You might ought to pick it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just him. He, he would just tell you what he thought. And he, he was a, 
a great mentor for me and, and fun in my life. And, and I'm loving helping younger coaches now if they call and ask because the, the Joe Paternos and the Daryl Royals and the Bobby yeah. Bowdens and all those guys, when I'd pick up the phone and call them, they'd call me right back and try to help me with any problems that I had. Well, Coach, this has been awesome, man. It feels like just talking to a member of the family here, and we learn something from you each and every time. So uh, I know I know you can be like a father figure to Buck. I just want you to be my uncle. So I'm giving. I just want you to be uncle status here. That's all. Well, we gotta go to Boone next year, so I may wait till after that because. <laughs> and I know you're not gonna be pulling for us in that game. So family's family, yeah. Bucky's family. But as soon as we get back from Boone. We can pull the uncle in. <laughs> Coach, I'm going to tell you, man, you got me thinking now. Back in 98 and 2000 when we beat Wake Forest, I mean, I think the Daniel Boone in could have given me a little bit of an endorsement deal on an NIL era, man. There is no question. I would have done it just for the free biscuits. I don't need a cent. I don't even need And that would have been worth it because I've eaten there way too many times. It's one of the problems with my weight now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Coach, man, best of luck this week. We always appreciate your time. You're the best, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Buck, it's awesome to catch up with your former coach in Mac Brown. You know what? what's funny, man, is like he's lived he's lived so much life, and you think you start listening to the names that he's talking about. Like, dude, he's been around the the best, the best and the brightest in, in multiple sports. He absolutely has, and it's so funny. Um, DJ, like the 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 question was great that you asked him about what he learned. Um, because the Dean Smith thing looms large over Carolina. Like it just looms large. It's a big deal. Coach Smith was legendary coach and a lot of what everybody learned in terms of class and how you treat people, whatever came from the basketball team and coach Smith. And so they have that, but coaches experience and his relationships and the stories that he's able to tell because he's been around people. And so it was great to hear him talk about Bobby Bowden. The next time we have to have him talk about Barry Switzer and what he learned from his time in Oklahoma because he has these great stories about being in Oklahoma and those things. And so it's always great, but I think DJ is fantastic to hear someone who is 70 years old, who is coaching a, a young person's game, who is still very connected, um, not only to his players that are older, but to the younger players and to be able to do it. Um, I, I just think he has a, a wealth of information that I'm glad he is able to share on our podcast with people so they can take away some of those nuggets. Yeah, I'm thankful for your relationship with him to be able to uh, to get him pretty much any time we call, he's there. Look, he's, he's always there. He's always said he would always be there. And it, it, it's always funny to be able to reach out and call. And I think the, the thing that he talked about with Coach Royal and Coach Bowden about the former players and how much it means, I think everybody wants that. I think it's the same thing that you would say, some of the connect, connections that you have with your people that are teammates, being able to talk to Coach Satterfield and all those other things, guys that you know, guys that um, – you know, we talk about our ride or dies, our, our buddies that mean a lot. And so it's, it's, it's cool because it's always about relationships, you know. And I think that's mm -hmm. the beautiful thing about football. Football brings us together. It's the tie that binds us together uh, with these relationships. I want to, um, as we're getting ready to wrap up here, encourage everybody. It is Thursday, which means Thursday night football, which means Amazon Prime Scouts feed is back. So that's Bucky, myself, Joy Taylor. We are going to be back. You can watch us. It's real easy. If you have never used twitched before don't get intimidated by it and you know if you're whatever age you are you think this is just for teenagers it's very simple all you do is twitch.tv slash move the sticks um, you can watch us as we watch the game if you've seen any of the manning cast um it's what it's what we did last year and it's uh, it's back again this year so you can join us and watch the game tonight so i encourage you guys to do that um 
one nugget on this game tonight, Buck, I just wanted to hit you with and uh, get your thoughts on before we get out of here. Uh, we're looking at some of the numbers and the stats for this game, the next-gen stuff. Remember when Russell Wilson was coming out, we questioned, okay, the only question is with his size at 5'10", how would he be able to see in the middle of the field and, and how would he be able to navigate that? Well, it turns out due to you know deep play action to get him distance from the line of scrimmage is what he's been in for most of his career. Uh, that's helped him in that area. But at the end of the day, when you look at the numbers, Buck, he throws over the top of the defense and he throws to the outside of the defense more so than anybody else. Like you look at it over the last five years in deep passing percentage since 2016, he was second in the league, second in the league, third in the league, second in the league, sixth in the league, fifth in the league. And then when you look at outside the numbers throws, third in the league, third in the league, second in the league, first in the league, second in the league, second in the league. Everything he does, he lives outside the numbers and he lives over the top of the defense. So his size never really comes into play because he doesn't have to function in all the trash inside. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting, but it's funny that you brought it up because there's a conversation at the end of the year last year when um, there's a faction of the 12s that were saying, let Russ cook. And one of the things that Pete Carroll came out and said, the one thing that we have to do at the end of the year because the Seahawks offense production fell off a cliff, teams started playing cover two mm-hmm. against the Seahawks. And so to illustrate it, cover two is two deep safeties parked at about 15 yards from the line of scrimmage covering each half of the field. You have five underneath cover guys. The corners are playing what we call cloud technique, where they're funneling all the receivers inside and taking away the outside numbers. And then there are three interior droppers around the hashes and one right in the middle. Well, DJ, when you talk about those percentages over the last five years, if you're telling me that he loves to live outside the numbers and down the field, cover two takes all of that away because the design of the defense is to force everything into the middle of the field. Well, one of the reasons why the Seahawks need to run the ball is because when you run the football against cover two, they're one man short. They need to draw a safety down into the box. So now you can open up the field to allow Russell to do what he wants to do, which is throw it down the field and to throw it outside of the numbers. So a lot of times when people are jumping on Pete Carroll for his insistence on running the ball, what he's really trying to do is to make the game easy for the quarterback. And so as we're looking at the game tonight, let's see if the Seahawks have enough success running the ball where they can open up the field to allow Russ to throw it where he wants to throw it outside the numbers and down the field. There you go. I think you you nailed it. Um, That's something to keep an eye on in the game tonight. So again, come hang out with us. Twitch.tv slash move the six. Twitch.tv slash move the six. You can come hang out with us. Uh, Enjoy Taylor for our Thursday night scouts feed. Uh, That's going to do it for us today, Buck. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, man. Check us out. Amazon. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you keep listening to the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of nuggets, a lot of insight, a lot of great conversations. Yep. And on that uh, broadcast, there's a chat that's open. So literally, you're watching the game. That's the difference between us and you know what you get with the Manning cast. We are fully interactive. So you, you tweet us a question. There's a third down. You don't like the play call. Why'd they do this? Boom. Drop it in the chat. We answer it and off we go. So it'll be fun. It's a fun experience. Um, we got our we got our feet wet with it last year, and I think we're going to take it to a whole new level this year. So come hang out with us again. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Move the Six. We'll see you on Thursday Night Football. We'll see you back here Monday uh, on Move the Six for the audio pod. Again, the TV show, you can catch us. That is 3 p.m. Eastern uh, with our buddy Rhett Lewis. That's on NFL Network. You can find us each and every Monday. Uh, appreciate you guys. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.